0: I'd like to take a minute of your time to let you know what you can do to help Recovery Radio continue its mission as a premier provider of free ongoing support to recovering people worldwide. Recently, our expenses have skyrocketed. The increase is powered by our increasing bandwidth and storage needs caused by the growing popularity of our programs. This is actually a good problem to have as it shows that we are filling a need as we continue our mission to serve the recovery community. However, even good problems are problems that need resolutions, and this is where you come in. Recovery Radio has started a fundraiser to help defray our additional cost. Please surf on over to recoveryradio.net and click the Donate button. Give whatever amount you can, and rest assured your donation will be used to keep Recovery Radio on air and on mission. Please become part of the solution and help us support the recovery community.
1: My name is Peggy, and I am a very grateful member of Al-Anon. Um, This is probably one of my least favorite things to do. Um, I do get very, very nervous. Paul asked me, "Why, why didn't you tell me you didn't want to do this?" And I said, "Well, my sponsor always told me you never refuse a commitment, and I also know that when I am very uncomfortable, God's got something to work with." So let's hope he does a good job this year. <laughs> Um, I do want to thank Paul for asking Matt and I to um, come to Oklahoma City. This is our third um, trip here. It is one of our favorite places to come. The people in Oklahoma are so wonderful. You have the biggest hearts and um, we just love, we love being here. Um, we wish we could take you all back to California. You can keep your weather here. But <laughs> We'd like to take you all back to California with us because you are just truly very um, hospitable people and we we really like Oklahoma City a lot. Um, I was uh, born and raised in um, Arizona, uh, Arizona, if you don't know where that is, it sits on the border of California and Mexico and my dad um, came from a long line of farmers and um, I uh, grew up on a farm and my dad was a very very busy man who not only farmed, he ran two cotton gins. And um, I don't know if my dad was an alcoholic, but what I do know is that my dad drank a lot and what happened when he got home is my mom really reacted to his drinking and he would walk in the door um, he might be drunk. He might have just been working really late because uh, he did that when it was chilling season, and um, she'd be yelling and screaming at him. And those are the um, the things that I learned, and those are the things that I picked up and I carried with me, and I, you know, and I still carry them with me. Um, recovery is a process, thank goodness, because there's many days that I still fall down but now um, I get to you know, get back up and try it again. Um, I have one sister, I'm the only person in my family that's in recovery. My sister has always struggled with her weight to this day. She's um, she's very overweight. She works many, many hours. Um, she had a marriage where, uh, she and her husband had a king-sized bed and between them three cops of spaniels sleep. And I'm the one that has all the problems. <laughs> and my mom, uh, and dad divorced after 39 years of marriage and, um, she remarried the man. Uh, I don't really know him all that well because I, I don't live in anymore. and anymore. Um, but every time we go to their house, they've got a refrigerator outside. It's stocked full of beer. And I don't know if he's got a drinking problem or not, but uh, I just know what I see. And it doesn't sound like, you know, that my mom's gone from anything different from my dad to the man she's married to today. Um, I just... You know, there's so many things I want to share that I, I want to get to my recovery and, oh, and I always forget to check what time it is, too. Um, there was a lot of stuff that, you know, got pretty crazy that the older I got, the crazier came to get at home. Um, so it really got bad when my dad had his first heart attack. Uh, I was not quite 16 years old and he suffered a massive heart attack. If he hadn't been in the hospital when he had it, he would have died. And um, he wasn't able to do the things that he had always done around the house, and and being the oldest, um, a lot of those responsibilities were left to me. Um, And the caretaking, you know, starting to do things around the house and taking care, helping to take care of my sister, who was only 18 months younger than I was. I I don't really know why I had to take care of her, but... um, You know, they started pretty early. My mom started working when I was about ten years old, and so I I learned to cook. I went to four H, and I had a lot of fun doing that, and I I loved to cook. And so I started cooking, and um, I started doing that for the family. And um, like I said, my sister had weight problems, and my dad was obsessed with them, and he would send her he would take her fencing lessons so that uh, maybe that would help her lose weight. He even had her on prescription food at one time. You know, we was taking her to a doctor that would prescribe diet pills for her, and she took those. And then Weight Watchers came around and, and she did that, and it was my responsibility to make sure that she she was supposed to, and one of the things that she had to eat was liver once a week. And we, I don't like liver, she doesn't like liver, none of us like <laughs> And if you like liver, that's more power to you, there's a lot out there for you to eat. <laughs> So I would have to cook it for her, and then I would have to cut it up into little bite size or pear sized pieces so that she could just swallow them. I still don't understand why I had to do that. She couldn't have done it, but, you know, it was my responsibility. And like I said, um, after my dad had that heart attack things, which was pretty crazy, and... Um, you know, I, I was really wanting to get out of the house. And, uh, of course when, when you're a teenager, you seem to you know it all, and and parents are stupid, and they don't know anything, and, and I know that because we have a teenager at home. And, um, I got pregnant when I was 17, and uh, that, in those days, you, you did get married, and, um, so that's what we did. We got married. And uh, about two weeks after we got married, I had a miscarriage. And um, we moved over to India, California, which is near Palm Springs. I don't know if any of you know where that is, but it's one of the armpits of the nation. I know there's a lot of them, but it's one of them. And um, we've been married for, I don't know, a month or so and uh, I was doing the beautiful little guy seeing the Donna Reed thing, uh, getting up in the morning, fixing his breakfast, making his lunches so that he could go off and um, go to work. And this one morning, I don't know where it came from, I don't know what I did, I don't know what I said, but he just beat me up. He, before he went to work, I just said what he felt like doing. And I did not understand that. I didn't know where it came from. I had never been physically abused. Um, that it set up that thing for me that was like, if I only did this when he came home, then I wouldn't get hit. If I only cooked a certain meal then when he came home, I wouldn't get hit. If the house looked a certain way when he came home, then I wouldn't get hit. You know, it was, just, what was I doing wrong? Why? Why didn't he love me for who I was? Why did I have to get hit? And so it was, it was, I was the one that was wrong. I was the one that was doing something. And um, I was also very arrogant and had an extreme amount of pride and I was not going home and I was not going to tell my family that this was happening. But it's often strange that they always know. People always know what's going on. And even though I didn't live in the same town, my parents knew what was going on. And we moved to we joined the army, and we moved to Texas for a while. And now I'm really away from everybody, and I really thought now things would be different, and they weren't. And um we went back home for Christmas, and I didn't go back. I was, uh, 18, 18 years old, and I haven't seen that man since. I divorced him, uh, through the mail, and I I don't know where he is, I don't know what he's doing. But um I, I, I don't know whether he was an alcoholic or not either. You know, we were pretty young and he drank, but he didn't, as far as I know what I know today, he didn't drink alcoholically. But I had this huge hole in my soul that I didn't, I didn't know about at that time. And the only way I knew how to make it feel better was to find another him. And uh, in Arizona at that time, the drinking age was 19 and most of the hymns were in the bars and so that's where I started going when I turned 19. And, um, you know, I was always looking for him. And uh, I finally found another one and got married again when I was 20. And things for could have did, We partied a lot, we drank a lot and um, then there would always come a time for me where, okay, well, you know, we've had enough time now, we've got to stop drinking. It's time to settle down and um get on with life. And I couldn't understand for him why every time we went somewhere we had to have uh, a an ice chest full of beer in the car and we had a, a sea boat, and we'd go out on the Colorado River on the weekends, and I couldn't understand why we always had to take... If we were going to go for the whole day, well, we had to take a whole case, and if we were going for the weekend, well, we had to take two or three cases. I, I never understood that, you know? And uh, thank goodness today we just traveled with a ice chest and of me. <laughs> but... Um, so I thought, well, we'll have a child, that'll fix this, this need that I have, you know, to be loved. And um, he didn't really want any kids, and I did, and uh I know how to con and manipulate pretty good. I'm a pretty good controller, and um, so we had a little boy. And um, I just had a grandchild from my son, well, he didn't have it, but his girlfriend did, and the whole time I was there, while that baby was being born, which was just a week ago, I, I remembered when my son was born, because he's 21. His dad was never in the room. If my mom hadn't been there, I would have been there all by myself. And um, my son stayed in that room with his girlfriend the whole time. And I was so proud of him, you know, and he was loving on her and making her feel okay. And all I could think about was when he was born and how much it, looking back on it, it hurt. But um, you know, I, like I said, there was a lot of drinking and, and I, I just didn't want to live the way we were living anymore. And so I left that marriage also. And uh, when my son was three years old, I got a wonderful opportunity with the company that I was working for to learn some new skills. And so I moved to Fresno. And, you know, I was still doing the same thing. I was still looking for another him after I had left my husband. And um, I thought, well, things will be different. You know, I moved to Fresno. Life will be different. We're going to start over again. And I'm sure none of you have ever... I like that, but, um, you know, it, it was just going to be a clean start. And, you know, it just started you know, it starts again. I started doing the same thing, except I well, was with, with, you know, new faces, different people, uh, when my son would go to Arizona to spend the summer with his dad or over Christmas vacation or whatever, I was never home. I was never home. And I did a lot of things. That, you know, uh, I was very ashamed of. And then when he would be there, because whatever him it was I was with was always, always more important than he was. When I listen to alcoholics and these speakers talk about, um, the shame and the anguish they feel over leaving their children at home while they wouldn't sit on a bar stool for a month, uh, I can identify with that. Because it wasn't a drink I was chasing, it was a him I was chasing. And I would leave my son with people that I didn't really know all that well. And um, you know, thank God nothing bad ever happened to him. But uh, in the process I met a guy that, that really hit I hit my bottom with. Um, I was willing to do a lot of things with him that I had not ever been willing to do in my life. I thought that those things were much below me and, and I wasn't raised that way. Um you know, I was a good person but I was willing to do things that I never thought I would do. And when that relationship ended, um, I went to see a counselor because I, I hit a real bottom and I didn't know anything about Alamon and I didn't know anything about alcoholism either. And um, the counselor told me that I was a woman who loved too much. There was a a book out that had that title on it and it had just come out. And she told me, I want you to get that book and I want you to read it. And she also said, I think you're probably an adult child of an alcoholic. And there uh, was, was also a book out called Adult Children of Alcoholics. And she said, I want you to get that book and I want you to read it. And I identified with all the stories in both of those books. And and that was my problem. I just loved people way too much. And I saw her for quite a while. I didn't uh uh see her mom. I didn't have a lot of money, so I did what I could and then she she started a therapy group of other women that were like me and she didn't charge us anything. That was a real um that was a real godsend because I just couldn't afford it. And um I've been in that therapy group for a long time. And my life changed a little bit. It changed a little bit. And um, I got involved in another relationship with guy, I was over in a friend's apartment, and her next door neighbor locked walked over. Um, and he rang the doorbell, and she answered the door, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> he had this look about him that was, I just need somebody to fix me. And I just melted. And he ended up being husband number three. And, um, you know, things were good for a while. He was very, very insecure. Um, He just needed the love of a good woman to bolster him up and make him feel like a man. And I was that person. I could do that. And I knew I could do that. And I took that job on. And, unfortunately, You know, this is a guy, he is an alcoholic um, and I can say that because he has said that. And um, this is a guy that has a lot more than alcoholism as a problem. And um, instead of being abused in that relationship, I became the abuser. I was um, not physically abusive, but I was very um, verbally abusive and emotionally abusive and he allowed me to do that because he was very um he just didn't know know how to stand up to people and two weeks or about six weeks before we got married he had a DUI and I really didn't want to go to the wedding. I loved him, but I knew getting married probably wasn't the best thing. And um, when he called from jail and um, he was crying and everything and he said, you know, we need to go find somebody else. I'm not good enough. You know, I was like, oh no, it'll be all right, we'll take care of it. And I was pissed because I'll tell you what, I had to spend the money for my wedding ring to bail him out. And I was not very happy about that. Um, but his parents had already spent a lot of money on our wedding. I couldn't ask my parents to spend the money because here's the third time and I'm not going to ask them to spend the money. Uh, and um, his parents had already spent a lot of money. I'd already had a couple of Bible showers and, you know, people had bought these gifts. And I, you know, getting married, I just knew it wasn't right. But it was more important to me how you felt. And I was going to go ahead and go through with this marriage because I couldn't send back all those presents. I couldn't say I'm not going to do this because the you would be upset with me. All those people would be upset with me. Um, we went ahead and we got married, and um, you know things just went from bad to worse. Um, when my son was eleven and a half years old, he decided he wanted to go back to Arizona and live with his dad and his dad because how he felt about me and how he cared about me was more important than so what I knew was the best place for him to be. I said, "Go ahead and go." And, you know, the way I was at that time, I raged, I, I would just fly off the handle of anything. I would want wanted to lose to. You know, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't comfortable. I didn't want to get there. But I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. And after he left, he was, um, I called him on the phone, and I couldn't understand why he talked to me the way he did. He wasn't, you know, he was not the kid that I had with me. He was somebody else, and I didn't understand that. And he was coming back for Christmas vacation. So I went to see a counselor, and I went to see a therapist. And she helped me to to understand what was going on with this kid. And, um, but you know, I never stopped, ever I he wanted to. You know, look at—they got to dig a little bit deeper—and she told me that I was probably married to an alcoholic, and I and I knew that because um, my husband could um, go all week long without drinking, but. The, weekend, the weekends were off office, The weekends he, he would get up and he would start drinking and he would start smoking dope and, and it was all weekend long until, you know, Monday morning when he went back to work or Monday night when he went back to work. And anyway, I went to here for a few times. My son came. The two weeks that he was there were really bad. They were really bad. Because I knew that I was... I had a he was twelve years old now and I had a real twelve year old and an adult that had the you know, emotional age of about twelve also. And I had to do something about that. I didn't know exactly what I was gonna do, but I'll tell you, I had done to the point in my life where both homicide and suicide were wail right on the list. You know, I didn't want to go through another divorce, and we would go out uh, into the flood hills, of of and, and he was hard to shoot when he was 22, and I, I would think of ways that I could kill him with that gun, and not, nobody would ever find out about it, and get back to town, you know, without ever, me ever being there, and then I would also think of ways to kill myself. I would be driving home at night from work, and I'd I, was right, right down the street where you could go pretty fast. And, you know, I think about wrapping my car around the telephone pole And um, anyway after my son Left I uh, went to see that therapist one more time. And she was a very, very wise therapist. She said, you know, you don't need to see me. She said, I think that if you would just go to Al-Anon and you would get a sponsor and you would start working with steps, she said, I think your life will change. And um, I followed the instruction pretty good, and I did that. I didn't do it that night. I tried to do it that night, and there was uh, I called the Alamo hotline to told me where a newcomer's meeting was that night, since I was going to be a newcomer. the meeting I've got to go to, right? So I tried finding it, but it was just pouring buckets of rain, and I and I couldn't find the address. I waited a whole week to the next Thursday because that's the newcomer's meeting and that's the one I've got to go to. So I, I, I waited and I went to that meeting. And I went to the meeting that I was supposed to go to for the first time because when I walked in that meeting, uh, a couple people were celebrating a year's birthday and yeah, we, we have birthdays now and on also. I know many alcoholics say that we can't because we have to on a daily basis. But, um, uh, in their meeting, the topic was fear and faith. Now, I didn't think I had a lot of fear. I had moved to Fresno all on my own with a tree old with no family. I would drive back to Arizona by myself with my son. I would chase him down in the bad parts of the town at night. I didn't have any fear. I heard real fear that night. I heard what real fear was. And I had a lot of it. And I had a belief in God because when I was growing up, my parents sent my sister and I to Sunday school. We were going to church. My parents didn't go to church, but they made sure my sister and I got some kind of education. And um, so I had a belief in God, but I knew I had no faith. And what I heard there was hope. I heard that these two people, they shared, and and they had been in the program for a year, and I heard how their life had changed in that year. And, you know, I didn't go to Al-Anon to learn how to get him sober. I went to Al-Anon because my life was a mess. And I needed some help somewhere. And I thought, if these two people can have that kind of hold back a you, maybe there's something here for me. After a couple of weeks, I, you know, that therapist said, you got to go to Sponsor so I went up to the secretary of the meeting and I said I need to get a sponsor. How do I do that? And she said well there's one lady in the, in the meeting here that can sponsor people. And, and so she pointed her to me and I went over and I talked to her and I was talking to her about, you know, a sponsor. She was just shaking her head yes, you know, like this. What she was doing was she was waiting for me to ask her to be my sponsor. And I said I, I figured that out. And, and um, she was the person that I needed at that time. She's not my sponsor today. But she was the person that I needed when I came into the program because uh, even though she's the age of my mother, she reminded me of my grandmother. And she loves me unconditionally. There was a time when I called her and I asked her if they could meet. I was having some problems. And, and um, so we met at a coffee shop and I just couldn't stop crying. And and she said, let's let's go out and sit in the car. So we went out and we sat in the car and I am just crying. I got snot coming out of my nose. And this woman just held me to her chest. She didn't care that I'm getting all this stuff all over her. She just loved me. She just loved me in a way I had never known. And, um, you know, I am so grateful that she was there in my life at that time. I, I heard in the, of the program that we don't make any changes after six months because I was wanting to leave that house and I was wanting to, to get out of that marriage. And so when six months came, I said, okay, you're out the door, buddy. And, um, you know, I wasn't ready for that because I had this illusion that then he was going to date me and court me and he was going to change. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. So um, we got back together and, um, you know, we, I, I just kept working on myself and he um, would go out fishing at night um, on the nights so that he didn't want to go fish and he would go about, I don't know, about 30, 30 miles up into the foot hills to the lake and I always knew that he was drinking and smoking dope when he was up there. I, came into I would go to sleep at night when we would go on a fishing excursion, but I couldn't still asleep. And I'd wake up about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'd lay there waiting to hear that the that truck comes up in the driveway. And I also did the thing, you know, I'm sure if you're in Alamon you can relate to this, where so you go, look out the window. so overlooking. going to make it appear. It never happened. but um... I'd I would lay there and, and I would wait for him to come home. I, I wouldn't say anything, but I would I was just wait. Because I couldn't go back to sleep. And the first night that I was able to, to sleep all night long, when he and I went on one of his fishing trips, after I came into the program, it was like, oh my God, what a miracle. You know, I understood what the second step was. I had placed him in God's hands, not even knowing that I had done that. And I had let him go off on, you know, I didn't have any control of it, but you know, he went off and I, and I was okay. I slept and he was okay. You know, he, whatever was going to happen to him was going to happen to him. And I, there was nothing I could ever do about it. Um, we did finally uh, get a divorce. I didn't want to live the way that we were living. Um, you know, he continued to shrink. Um, the speaker this afternoon, uh, my Kathy, um, she, my sponsor, was in her case because you know she had learned how to be happy whether the alcoholic was drinking or not. Oh God, I clung on to those words. I clung on to those words so much that I could be happy to make any difference whether my husband was drinking or not. I could be okay. And I got to the point where I was okay. But I just didn't want to live that kind of life anymore. I wanted sobriety in my life. I wanted recovery in my life for both of us. And that's not what he wanted. My sponsor, um, I had changed sponsors, and, and that sponsor, she had a relationship that... That's what I wanted. She and, and her boyfriend... Um, they would go off to conferences where we were together. You know, they were the AA al couple, and they looked good. And, and that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted that kind of relationship where we were sharing our lives instead of just an existence, because for me that's what it was. And um, so we went ahead and we got a divorce. And I don't know where he is, and I don't know what he's doing, but I know that God's watching over him wherever he's at. And I and I pray that someday that he gets sobriety and that he gets, gets some help in his life to see, so that he can live a good, you know, happy life. Um, I had to do um, a lot of letting go, uh, learning how to let go. One of the things I had to let go of um, besides that marriage was my son. I don't, I don't do teenagers well. I just don't do teenagers well. And he came one summer and he was 14 and my dad had got him and he was not going to do anything. Anybody told him how to, what to do. I was still married to my ex-husband and he certainly wasn't going to do what he told him to do. And I said, I'm not going to live like this. And you know, she did. So um, I called my sponsor and she took me home. Put him on a plane and send him home. I'm like, I can't do that. I've only had him here for a week. I can't do that. She said, do you want to live with this insanity in your house? Are you willing to accept this unacceptable behavior? And I said, no. She said, said, then put him on a plane and send him home. That was the hardest, one of the hardest things I've ever done. I set that kid on that plane and um, I thought for sure he was going to hate me. I just knew he was going to talk to me again. But the one thing I've learned in this program is that I have to let go of the things that I want in order to keep them. And, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you that the relationship that I have with him today is, is all is the best. It's better. It's a good relationship. But he has learned how to kind of manipulate me very well. And I taught him when he showed that. And for so one more time I've been told you have to let him go. And he has had such a clean I love my grandchildren I have two others and dearly you grandma know, grandma's one of the best things in the world because you know what I get to try to do it a little bit different this time and I have to let you go because I've used baby to rip my heart out one more time But you know what, I can have a relationship with him at a distance until I can learn how to do it so that my heart doesn't get ripped out and that he's not able to come and manipulate me anymore. And I can have a relationship with her, with his girlfriend, and love her because I do, she's a real sweetheart and I can keep track of how that baby's doing Um, I got married with him, I guess you know that, because you were here last night, you heard here now. And that has been, um, a real blessing in my life. I knew that, as a friend, we had, um, I've been real active in service, and he says, you always so forget to talk about your service, so while well, I was thinking about it, mean, I'd better say something about my service because I always forget about it. Um, early in my recovery, my, my first sponsor, she had me go to a, um, a recovery center and um, talk to the family group. And, oh gosh, I'm like, well, what do I had to share. I've only been in the program for about six months I said, I don't have anything to offer these people. I said, i got to a husband who's still at home drinking. She said we have a lot to offer these people because only about one in ten of them is going to stay sober, and their family members need to know that they have a place to go to, that they have a place that they can they can be all right whether whether their significant other significant other goes back out and starts drinking and using again. And um, so I went and I, I didn't have I didn't show very much and um, but. I'll tell you, that set off the uh, type of obsession me in service work that I just love. Um, I started going out, but I wanted to know about going into the prisons, you know, um, especially women's prisons. We have the two largest ones, I think, in the United States, uh, in the Central Valley, about 30 miles north of Fresno. One's on one corner and the other one's on the other corner. And um, I wanted to go out there. I wanted to start um, Al-Anon meetings out there. And so I had uh, been involved in an H&I conference on the Al-Anon side uh, that was in Pryce. So I got to know some of the guys in AA that were on the H&I community. And I said, how do we do this? How do we go about starting an Al-Anon meeting in, in a facility? And uh, so they said, well, you know, why don't you go out to one of the AA meetings and, and see how it's done? So I, got the, I went out to Avernal, which is quite a distance from Fresno, and it was in the summertime, and it's out in the middle of nowhere, and I, and I had never been in a prison before. And we go in, and you, you go inside those gates, and they all have electric wire and everything, and we go inside of another gate, and I'm like, oh, my uh, I'm in here. kind of sit there and just watch what they're doing, you know, the inside sponsors, like you can sit over here with us, you can go over and sit at the tables if you'd like to and, and you know, listen to them and they share. And my mind's going a hundred miles an hour. They've got, there have got so many flies, and they've got flies with wire on them. And I've got my purse with my shoes in, and they've got a coffee pot with cords, and my mind is just thinking of all these, awful the things that a few decide they want to do them to they could do and I'm just going a hundred miles a minute inside my head and then all of a sudden I said, okay, okay, God bless you. You're all right. Everything's going to be fine. And, you know, my sponsor taught me that an AA meeting is for people who identify as alcoholics. I'm not an alcoholic, so I'm not sure if I go to an AA meeting. But those so inmates wanted to know who I was and what I was doing there. And, they, and so they asked me if I would tell them what Al-Anon was. They didn't know what it was, so I, I shared with them what Alamon was and it was just a little bit about me. Well, on the other side of the room there was a Spanish-speaking only meeting, meeting, and they wanted to know who I was. So I went over there and they, they translated, and I felt like I was doing sign language and everything, and they translated, and, and um, I had some... I don't know why it's because a meeting with me, but they had 800 members for the World Service Office and, and they took them because of course, in California. They, you know, we have meetings everywhere. Um, but I was able to start going out to Chaochoa Women's Prison, which is, I don't, that's not the name of it, but it's in Chaochoa. And, um, and we don't have meetings there. They don't understand about Alan. If uh, you drink or you use drugs, or you've been beaten up by your uh, spouse or whatever, they understand that. So they have lots of names for AA meetings, they have lots of names for NA meetings, they have lots of names for that of women's meetings, but they don't understand about Al-Anon because if, if, if that person just got sober or they just stopped using drugs, and your life will be alright. So, you know, what, what's that program all about? They just don't comprehend. And so there's a place for us out there. Um, so what we do is we go in uh, one seventy six schools. They have um, a regular school there, and one of the classes is on alcohol and drug education. And the women are in there, all volunteers. They go to that class voluntarily. It's not to get them sober or clean. It's just to educate them. And some of the women that are in there belong in They're in that class because someone that they love is an alcoholic. And um, so we go out there and we share with those ladies um, about Adanon and the family disease of alcoholism. And it is just one of the best things in my recovery that I do because I identify with those women. But by the grace of God, I didn't end up in that place. You know, I was doing things that uh, I could have been there. And, um, you know, I, I share that with them and in the promise, you know, I, I deserve to be there, but I'm not. And, um, you know, we've had ladies come up to us after we get done sharing and tell us, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, but my family members are. I worked with a woman who embezzled from the company I was working at because her husband was an active alcoholic and her daughter was in all kinds of trouble. And he wasn't working. There was active alcoholism in that home. That's why she ended up in prison. You know, and um, people that say this is not a family disease—they're crazy. They are absolutely crazy. Um, anyway, I was involved in this conference for night and, and I met Matt. And um, I was I was still married at the time, and. Uh, Matt and I just became buddies. You know, every once in a while, he'd give me a phone call me how I was doing, we'd talk about recovery. And uh, I thought he was, you know, I thought he was a nice guy, but I was married. And uh, so I, my husband and I decided to get a divorce. And I was, uh, I don't know, I was to some service work now and on, and Matt happened to be there, and I went over and said hi to him. He asked me how, how I was doing, and mom i doing pretty good. I said, I finally decided to get a divorce. My telephone started ringing an awful lot. <laughs> now, he'll probably tell you that's not true, but that, that's the way it happened. And, um, you know, God gave me the ability to learn how to love Matt through, through these conversations, these long conversations that we would have over the telephone. Because I didn't think that I could, could love somebody that, that looks the way that Matt looks. You know, I'm a very shallow person. And um, that because we had these long conversations over the telephone, and a lot of them had to do with God, I was able to love him, learn to love him for who he is on the inside, and not about what he looks like. And that has been one of the best gifts that I have gotten. I've managed to see people differently. And um uh, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it has been a wonderful marriage. We have struggled. We have struggled a lot. But today, we are married. Just today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And whatever happened yesterday has happened. And today, we are married. And as long as I can take my marriage one day at a time, I can stay there. He, he stood up here and told you last night that he'd been married on his eighth wife. Well, he's my fourth husband. We don't do marriage as well. And, uh... I went to a retreat this, uh, this October and, and um, Sister B I don't know if any of you know who she is, but she was the retreat leader and she said, You know, we all go into relationships with age. Some of us have a back and some of us have a you head And I said, I got a moving truck, a big one <laughs> So, you know, when I keep what's going on in perspective, anything, whether it's my marriage my career. If I can put in the perspective of today, I can do it. Um, you know, Matt told you last night. But three weeks before we got married, my dad died. In nine months, we lost two of our parents. Um, we, I had an uncle that was murdered in that nine months and I had another uncle that died of cancer and we had several times that died. It was probably one of the toughest years in my life I had ever been through. And before my, um, we went back to Arizona um, to bury my dad and, and to, to make our relations with my sister, I told God that the most important thing for me to do when I left there was to make sure that I still had a relationship with my sister because it's a very it's a very shaky one. And I wanted to make sure that when I left there I didn't leave there with material things, that I left there with my sister. And um, things went pretty good most of the week. <clears throat> um, God had really done a wonderful job of putting my dad's life in order before he died. He had closed his home his the dog had died. Um, he, I mean, everything, his bills were all paid off. I mean, everything was just, just, I couldn't, we couldn't have asked for it to be any better than it was. And, um, at the funeral, um, my dad was a veteran and so they, you know, draped his coffin with a flag and, and they did the honor guard thing and they folded the flag up and um, they gave did, did it to the oldest. So the, the stock, of course, my parents were the worst, so they did us flow of which was me. And it started behind the side to my sister because she looked older than I did. And um, she had really that special. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew she was, you know, into that her a lot. Because see, she had been there. She had been there to help my dad. He would get congestive heart failure. And she would be there to help take care of him. I wasn't there. And um you know, she, as I said she wanted his wedding ring and she wanted this and she wanted it was fun. And I wanted to take that cycle. And she got really upset because I asked for that. And I probably didn't ask because probably the best way. And she uh, left her house and, and I knew she was really angry. And so I was talking to Matt about it and I said, you know, what, quite right. and I quite like disability along man man?" And, uh, I don't, you know, I don't really like being told that especially by about my husband. <clears throat> and, uh, so the next morning, uh, um, when we got up, I was going to go out there and I was going to tell her that I was really sorry for the way that I had said what I had said. And uh you know, that's basically about all I was going to say. But what I did was I walked outside, there was some outside on the table smoking a cigarette, and I said, Linda, I'm, i I probably really didn't say what I said last night about the flight quite right and if it means a lot to you, I'd really like for you to keep it. I'm like, Where did those words come from? <laughs> but you know I went home have a relationship with my sister. There's material for the show and these I could go down and buy a flag and say it was the one that was say back Bob, oh, my dad, how would I know? I mean, you know, who would know. I It doesn't make any difference. But it was more important for me. And I know that that's what my dad would have wanted, was for me to go home with that relationship. And we still don't talk a but, you know, it, it's there. It's there. Um, I just The recovery process, sometimes things move a little bit slow and sometimes they move a little bit fast. I kind of like it when things are moving along because then I'm not stuck in the pain so much. But then I get a little complacent and then the pain creeps up because I do, I start doing things that I know are not that healthy for me. And so I got to start doing things a little bit different. I told you that I believed in God when I came into the program, but I had no faith. And today I have um, a relationship with God that I thought I would never have. This last year has been, um, spiritually, has been quite an experience for me. There were things that I never thought that I would commit to in my spiritual life. Things that I never, never thought were quite true and that I would be willing to commit to. And that has changed for me this year. Um, And it's been an awesome, awesome experience for me. Um, I have to say that today I am very pleased with Peggy. I like who she is. I continue to grow on a daily basis. There are things in my life that make me grow. If I am uncomfortable about something then I know I need to grow. Um, I'm not gonna stand up here and do a whole role and start the Bible you or anything like that because that's not what that's not what's done at at, at a podium for Alan on. But there's a there is a story that I can relate to in the Bible and it has to do with the disciples being in a boat out on the sea. And Jesus is walking and he calls to them to go and walk with him on the water. And Peter is the only one that the out of the boat to walk on the water. And a strong wind comes up and his face falters and he looks good and he starts to sink. And Christ reaches out his hand and he said, just have faith, just believe. And I know that that's all that I need to do in my life every day is the believe that God is there and that he will walk with me and I can walk on that water with him if I say she. When I get in fear because that's what that is when I get in fear I remember that story because I'm a very visual person and I can relate to that. So I just wish my hand out and I know that my God is there and he is walking with me